guys, welcome to Climate Change Unfolding. Before I get going on today's episode, I want to start by saying thanks so much to a whole range of people who've connected in some way over the first few episodes. Really means a, a lot to me. I've been stuck in my head with this climate change stuff for so long, internalizing it all. But once I finally opened up, put myself out there a little bit, all sorts of people have come out of the woodwork and engaged with me on this. And it, it's so refreshing. I'm very grateful to the, all the people that have reached out to share resources, send me their take on some of these issues, and essentially given some of their time to help increase my knowledge on the subject. Tom Laws from the UK put me on to a few different films to watch online. One of them I watched last night called Guilt Trip, a ski film, which has a great take on the extreme sports climate change conundrum. More on that coming soon. I ended up having a few conversations with friends online about it. One with a a long-time friend, Dan Smith, who I haven't spoke to in ages, who works in sustainability. He has a lot of passion on the subject and has all sorts of insight to share on this. So maybe I'll try and get him on the show at some point. I love that the podcast has prompted me to reconnect with our friends, even if Kate the baby dictator cut a conversation short. <laughs> it was bath time. I spoke to another friend who works in conservation and passionate about riverbanks here. Lots of ideas branching around there. I'm very grateful for all of it and everyone. This might sound a bit out there, but I really believe great things are going to come out of this. I'm so motivated. I'm really energized. I don't know exactly where I'm going with this podcast or anything that spins off it, but I feel a real sense of purpose and that I'm on the right track. I certainly am a long way from where I need to be and my knowledge is not where it should be, but I feel good that I'm heading in the right direction. The fact that there are a number of people willing me on just helps stoke a fire that's already raging. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me get on to this episode. Thanks very much to everyone. I hope you enjoy. From a human perspective, for so much of our history, air wasn't anything. It was just the space between things that we move around in. Or maybe, depending on your belief structure, it was one of the four basic elements of earth, fire, water and air. Now, of course, we know that air is made up of a ridiculous number of molecules, different types floating around, bashing into each other and into us. Those molecules are so tiny that their size is basically incomprehensible to us. The number of molecules in, of air in a square meter is three with 22 zeros after it, whatever that number is. <laughs> Thanks to the internet for that. And yet, despite how tiny they are, there's such a large amount of them bashing into us. They put a surprisingly big amount of pressure onto us. Atmosphere at sea level is about 10 newtons per square centimeter, which for the non-scientists amongst us, if you convert it to how much pressure there is on average surface area of our bodies, works out 10 tonnes of pressure spread over the average person's surface area. Does anyone else find that pretty freaking amazing? 10 tonnes? Don't consider that for a moment. If a, if a standard car weighs about a tonne, and this air that we barely notice that surrounds us, that's completely see-through by the way, is so full of molecules backing into us, that exerts the same force on our skin as 10 cars would if you miraculously spread that out over the over your body's surface. Of course, it's pushing from all sides, from inside and from out, so we don't even notice. Surprising, really, when you think of it like that. If we always have 10 tons pushing down on us, that having only one extra car driving over us makes such a difference. <laughs> I know I'm not being very scientific, but Anyway, the topic for today is carbon footprinting, but I'm going to, for now, carry on my awe of science and my appreciation of the world around us. I will ultimately get into footprinting, I promise, for now, background. 
400 out of every million molecules in the air are carbon dioxide molecules. Kind of amazing, even though we know that, if you think about it, we can't see it, we certainly can't count it or measure it with our eyes, but that's pretty basic science as things go. The number of molecules is so great that even though only 0.04 of a percent of them is carbon, and even though they are absolutely minuscule beyond what we could possibly imagine. If you gather enough of them together, you make a gram of CO2. Get a thousand of those, you get a kilogram. Another thousand of those, you get a ton. And then you're in this, the right sort of order of magnitude for what each of us release into the atmosphere each year. Only there's seven billion of us humans. A number that's easy for us to say, but realistically, again, is probably too big for us to grasp in practical sense. The overall carbon emissions from energy of the human species is 32 and a half gigatons which in case like me, you have to Google what a gigaton is, that means 32 and a half thousand million tons. And just remember for a moment, how many molecules were in each one of those tons? <laughs> oh, so many zeros, <laughs> madness. So consider a moment the challenge for the scientists to work out the total footprint of our global emissions as a complete human race, seven billion people's carbon footprint. Thought it was bad trying to work out the carbon footprint of my businesses and consider how significant a challenge then it is if you've got to consider not just the developed world but also fail states like Somalia. How much do they emit? <laughs> and so many different types of emissions by so many different types of people that it's mind-blowingly complicated. And yet, with human beings' extraordinary curiosity and our ability to build one generation's knowledge on top of the last, we were able to calculate it. And what's more, you can type global emissions into Google and in 0.46 seconds, it will give you 281,000 hits. Somewhere near the top will be your answer. And that's pretty incredible. Even better, and even more relevant in terms of today's podcast, there are websites with pre-existing formula in the way of computer code that you tap a few figures in and it spits out your own individual carbon footprint. And even better... <laughs> Fancy microphones that allow me to record sound waves, convert them to a computer code, save that computer code on a collective information storage system called the internet, and more code still on someone else's device, which creates the illusion of a podcast app, which allows everyone, except perhaps my grandma, <laughs> to easily find a play button and listen back to those sound waves on the podcast app. <laughs> I'm imagining you all around the world listening to this, walking your dog or driving, washing up, thinking... Enough's enough, Sam. I might not be able to interrupt your random rant, but it's very easy for me to click pause and find another podcast to listen to. So get on with it. <laughs> this is the World Wide Web after all. And I'm not your grandma. <laughs> so let me finish this little stint of rambling by saying it's an amazing world, extraordinary, that we live in. And as human beings, we have a level of creativity and ingenuity that continually amazes me. Just incredible what we end up doing. And today, we're doing carbon footprinting. And thank God, or actually, more accurately, <laughs> Thank the scientists that I don't have to count the carbon dioxide molecules myself. <laughs> because according to them, there's a whole bunch of them. That's a technical science term, by the way. An individual carbon footprint. The total amount of emissions each one of us is responsible for. I'm going to get on to how I worked out mine and how you can do the same with the most accuracy and the least effort and the maximum output. First, I wanted to talk a bit about what I wanted to get out of the process for it to be useful to me. I'm interested in the overall total footprint, of course, but I was just as interested in a breakdown and what effect various things would have on my overall emissions. Having a breakdown is going to help me understand what is the most important area for me to focus on, and it's also going to give me a quantifiable improvement when I do end up making some changes in my life down line. 
how did I work out my carbon footprint? I did pretty much every online calculator I could find. I did them all for a few reasons. First, to see what each had to say about my footprint, things to learn from each of them. Second, I wasn't sure how else to find out which one were the decent ones and which were the useless ones. And third, I thought if I found the best one, I could be able to provide all of you guys listening the best value and make sure you guys get good results and, and for minimal time and don't waste your time and get inaccurate results. So I dug into it pretty deep and there's some great calculators online. For me personally though, using a calculator had its limitations because I live a very unusual life and I live it in a way that's not very normal. For a good part of the year I live in Uganda for a start and obviously there's no calculators specifically about Uganda and the rest in a selection of different countries which means that a lot of the general calculators aren't geared towards me. There are some that take Uganda into account and even some of the better ones which allow you to split your time into two different countries. But I also live in a very low emission kind of way in some areas of my life my friends and family all laugh at me because I still have clothes I used to have in university. None of my family know where to get me at Christmas because there's really not that much that I really want. And they normally get me what they think I need instead, which is almost always clothes, <laughs> which is pretty much my primary stock up on clothes each year, for example. Um, but to be fair, they're probably right. But to add to the unusualness, I live in a small house, as houses go in the Western world. I don't heat my home. I don't have air conditioning. My commute is kayaking across the Nile River, so I don't know fossil fuels involved for that. You know, for fun, my primary activity is uh, water sports or kayaking, especially, which is uh, in itself is very low emissions. The only the only self care products I use, for example, is soap and toothpaste, which my friend also la- laugh at me for. So all of that's pretty good, low-impact stuff, but, and it is a big but, I fly more than most, quite a lot more than most, and I have a few things that I don't hold back on. You know, I have a decent MacBook Pro and an iPhone for work because that improves my time efficiency and effectiveness, which I value very highly. So sometimes I'm, I'm a high consumer, sometimes way lower than average, and, I, and rarely am I sitting somewhere down the middle. So for me personally, to get accurate figures, I ended up just working out my footprint based on a selection of different resources using the greenhouse gas protocol and some of the features, the more comprehensive calculators online. But I went into that pretty heavily last time, so I'll skip it because I think there's less point for personal footprinting. And actually, for the most part, on your online calculators do a very good job, especially if you use the best ones, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. It basically worked out for me when I got it as accurate and legitimate as I could that my footprint totaled 10.7 tons, which is pretty bad. <laughs> the global average is five tons, so I'm double that. And apparently by 2050, the UK's target is to get down to 1.1 tons per person, which is a tenth of my emissions, which is pretty crazy. That said, I'm also quite a bit less than your average American. And actually maybe sounds bad, but it's not actually quite as bad as I thought it might be. There was a pretty stark and clear message for me though. 6.6 tons of my 10.7 was in flights. (laughs) That's 62% of my entire emissions was in one thing and that was the flights. And that's amazing really. Of all the things I do in my life, everything combined, all my eating, all my living and buying and all the other things I do, driving, whatever, they all combined totals less than the flights alone. There's so many things to say about this. I'm, I'm actually going to focus a whole episode about this in good time, and it affects my business as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this, and it needs tackling. So stand by for that. But for now, let me just say I'm definitely going to try to be cutting down on my number of flights this year, and that's probably, well, definitely is the number one place where I can really have a, a big impact on my own personal emissions. So let me get on to recommendations. It's easy to work out your own footprint. 
here are the resources I recommend. It's only going to take a few minutes. In my opinion, the best online calculator is carbonfootprint.com. I'll leave a link to the calculator on my own website, which is climatechangeunfolding.com slash episode four. But you could also go to carbonfootprint.com and rummage around and, and find the carbon footprint calculator. I really like this one because they take your country into consideration, which is obviously important. It makes a big difference. Some of your emissions are embedded in your country's choice of government services, for example. It takes into consideration all the fuel usage, your flights, your vehicles and transport, and also, which sets it apart in my mind from a lot of the other calculators, allows you to slot in your spending on a range of other things, which varies person to person a lot. So it gives you results, not just as totals, but it also breaks down your emissions in different areas, both at the end and as you go along. So you can kind of see as you're going along what, what effect each different item that you're adding has. So that's meaningful to help you reduce and understand how each thing contributes. Finally, a cool feature that I liked was it allowed you to choose your window of time that you were footprinting, which means, for example, if you spent three months in the UK and nine months in Uganda, let's say you could work out those stints separately because they'd be a very different setup. So you didn't have to like take some weird GAT average or whatever for the whole year. You can also see how it's stacked up against each other. How am I emitting when I'm in Uganda versus when I'm in the UK or somewhere else? The only thing that was lacking really is that it didn't take into consideration your food choices. It only took into the consideration the total expenditure on food, which is still actually better than a lot of calculators. But it would have been better if it took into consideration the fact that a high meat and dairy diet, for example, is much more emitting than a vegan diet or eating local versus eating uh, imported goods. And I feel like that would have been easy enough for them to incorporate. But all in, if you want the most meaningful results for minimum time, that's where I'd go. Another worthwhile resource if you're in the UK is the World Wildlife Fund. It has a graphic heavy, a beautiful site and it's a nice process to go through. Probably a little bit less detailed, but if you're in the UK, it's pretty accurate and it offers a number of concise bits of advice for reduction too. And it's kind of a pleasurable, less sort of academic way of working your way through the whole process. It's quite cool. Finally, last recommendation, you could consider what I think is a really worthwhile exercise, which I talk about a lot in the last episode, so I'll skim over it now, but it's worth a quick mention. Make a list of all the things that you do, buy, eat, drink, hobbies that fit into your typical lifestyle that has some kind of emissions. I mean, everything you can think of, investments, education, subscriptions, web hosting, hobbies, everything, all of it. Break it down into areas if you, you know, might help you, um, but keep throwing anything in there it doesn't actually take all that long, but it ends up being a surprisingly long list. And, and then once you've done that, put your carbon glasses on and ask yourself, what can I easily change? What can I change that would actually save me some money or improve my well-being in some way? And there's actually a surprising amount of things that really no-brainers, you know, and, and easy to change. And if you feel ready, what are the things beyond that? A certain level of personal sacrifice will make a big difference to my emissions. You might even find a similar experience to what I've found. It's just like some of the things that I was previously worrying about as a, as a major sacrifice, actually not as much of a sacrifice as I actually thought it was and actually end up increasing my well-being or even my happiness levels. And sometimes the greener alternative is actually better for your lifestyle. So that basically wraps up my ideas and recommendations. Doesn't take long, super easy to do. Uh, if you've never done it, or even if you've done it with a crappy calculator, give it a go with a decent one. Write down a list, see what you think. Love to hear what, you, what comes out of it for you.
While I was going through the different calculators, one of the worst ones I came across actually sent me off on a bit of a curiosity tangent and put me onto something that I found really interesting. I mentioned it in the last episode. You basically throw your country into a calculator and it says your carbon footprint is four tons. And it gives you your carbon footprint, supposedly, but presumably based on an average emission for the country. And obviously, it's pretty meaningless for getting workable information about your own footprint. But I put a few countries in to see what it would come out with. And then with my interest peaked, I ditched the calculator and searched for a more reliable database of the different countries per person emissions. And easily available online, I can leave a link, but it's you know easily searchable. But the variety is staggering. It's amazing the difference country to country. I came to a realization here. As I mentioned, my total personal emissions for 2017 was 10.7 tons of CO2. And the average Ugandan, get this, right? The average Ugandan is 126 kilos. That means that my footprint is the equivalent of 85 Ugandans. Holy crap. Before we brush over that, just as a number, let's just think about that for a moment. Now, the typical class size here in Uganda is 300 people, which is crazy in itself. But if you're fortunate enough to come from a developed country, then you probably add somewhere between, I don't know, 20 and 30 people in your class. Humor me for a second and imagine every one of them stood next to each of their parents and a few of the brothers thrown in the mix too. Each one of your classmates and all of their parents going around their daily lives, doing their thing, eating, breathing, buying, driving, living their lives. 85 people. All of those people. Isn't it amazing that my emissions and my consumption can be equivalent to 85 people's life choices? And the average American has a footprint of 16.4 tons, which means 130 Ugandans. That's all your classmates, all their parents, and two children each. And think about all those people that you uh, knew growing up, and now all of their families. And you put them, imagine putting all of those human beings together in a room. It'd have to be a big room for a start. You'd need a whole wedding reception style banquet to feed them all. And all of their emissions adds up to just one American's emissions. It's crazy. Bear in mind also that a typical Ugandan doesn't really live in an environmentally conscious way. Every day, every day they're using single-use plastic, chucking out a window, throwing it on the floor. There's no recycling. Energy consumption doesn't even come into it. You know, it's not even a consideration unless you count sort of trying to save some money. Just to be clear, that's not me judging. It's a totally different life for a low-income Ugandan, as majority of the population are. And it's hard to imagine me in the same situation caring about my impact if I was in the same place. One of the emails I received about the podcast in the last week was from a lady called Holly. And she had a great quote within the uh, email. She's from East Africa. It was a quote from a guy, Richard Leakey, and a quote, one can only become a conservationist when you have a roof over your head and food on the table, end quote. And that's a pretty good point. And it probably adds education for the kids and healthcare for the family. To give you an example of what sort of choices people are dealing with day to day here, part-time member of staff, let's call him Trevor, which is not his real name, and you'll see why in a minute. He pulled me aside one day with a bit of bleak look on his face and he told me something to show me. Took me around the back of the house, sheepishly looks around and starts unbuckling his belt. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my God, where's this going? And Trevor pulls down his pants and he shows me his testicle, <laughs> which is probably the size of a small melon. It's enormous. And he says, Mr. Sam, I'm worried. I think I have cancer. I think I'm going to die. And when I die, I don't know how my wife's going to be able to look after all my children. They're not going to have any money and, and I don't know how they're going to live. She's pretty, pretty full on, you know, and, and then and I ask him, how long has it been like that, Trevor? Expecting him to say a few hours, a couple of days, and he says, around two years. 
two years? Two years, holy crap. Have you been to a doctor? Why didn't you tell me? He says, if he goes to a doctor, he has to pay for the treatment, and it'll be expensive, then he'll have to take one of his kids out of school. But now he says, he has finally decided he's going to take the youngest one out of school for the year so he can pay for treatment, and then maybe he can live longer and keep his kids in school until they're old enough to get good jobs. It's pretty full on. It's pretty heavy. And it caught me off guard with the sort of things people are living with day to day here. And this guy's working. He's albeit he's on the lower end of our staff pay, but he still has a decent income compared to most. But he's supporting a big family, lots of kids in school. I took him to the doctor. It turned out to be a hernia rather than cancer. And we paid for his operation. Now he's all fine. But it was a good lesson for me on how different day-to-day priorities can be and how pathetic and meaningless <laughs> some of the things we end up stressing and worry about are. So after that, I set up a healthcare system with a local clinic and surgery, and now all of the Uganda staff can get free healthcare, and they just build a business at the end of the month, and it, it makes a big difference to them. It's not too expensive, and of course, it keeps staff healthier and happier, which is good for me also. So, um, Anyways, from a climate change perspective, the point is people on the lower end of the economic scale here have other things to worry about, and quite frankly, who can blame them? They're living in a way that environment is not even a consideration. Long-term is not even consideration. And that's something that me and anyone else who are living in East Africa need to remember when we're trying to sort of move things forward environmentally. Back to the carbon footprint in my life, with my environmental high horse of <laughs> no plastic bags and switching the lights off and eating right and that sort of thing, is still equivalent to 85 Ugandans even though most of them are living in a way that has little concern for the environment. It's, it's totally mad. Worse than that, with the effects of climate change already hitting Uganda and set to get worse, a lot worse in the future, those 85 people, including a number of my staff and my friends and people I meet and know and buy things from, and they're going to get hit worse than I will. And they're going to get hit worse than those high emitters from the Western world. All of, you know, probably half the people listening, I'm not judging you or anyone else because I know I'm in the same place, but it's it's not right. You know, it, the whole thing stinks. It just makes me want to do something about it all the more. It feels the fire that's already burning, you know. <laughs> there are all sorts of interesting dynamics also within these nation-by-nation footprinting figures um, that play a real part in climate solutions and, and the climate problem. While looking into this, I remember a scene in a great film about climate change called Before the Flood. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's basically Leonardo DiCaprio exploring various angles on the issue. And it's well made. It's very watchable. Um, at one point, is in India having a discussion with a lady. I think she's the Minister for Energy for India. Now, uh, heartthrob Jack Dawson <laughs> is trying to understand the challenges in India and trying to urge them as an emerging superpower to consider green technologies and she shows him a report highlighting the average footprint of a single U.S. citizen compared to those of different nations around the world. She points out that one, I, I went back to the film and, and I watched it again to find this, this scene, and she points out that one U.S. citizen is the equivalent of 34 uh, Indian citizens. She's basically saying she's sick and tired of Americans coming and telling India it needs to be more responsible when India has a massive poverty problem and a massive access to power issue. And America, and much of the Western world, just, just has an overconsumption issue. <laughs> she's basically saying, sort your own stuff out, then we'll talk. In the meantime, we're going to use all available technologies and resources to try and pull ourselves out of poverty. <sighs> it's quite a compelling argument. You know, I've seen a number of news articles saying Americans' emissions have actually reduced in the last few years, and it's 
And the real problem is now in India and China where the emissions are growing, which kind of implies that America is on the good side. And the evil character from in the climate change conundrum is China and India. And that's actually true from a nation's perspective. They are growing pretty fast and scarily fast. But if we are to have a chance of succeeding, India and China do need to engage. Of course, they need to not carry on with rampant sort of aggressive growth. But the argument fails to take into consideration the population. You know, actually, if you look at the latest figures, you know it's actually 8.5 Indians per U.S. citizen rather than 34. But still, if they if they all live like Americans, the planet would be completely screwed. Or worse, like a few of the oil-rich countries, which are actually a lot more than America in the Middle East, where emissions are ridiculous. Like Qatar has 40 tonnes per person, which is that, that's the equivalent of over 300 people in Uganda. Let me see, hold on. 317 people in Uganda, which is mad. Anyway, another thing that I noticed within these figures that I thought was worth drawing attention to is the comparing the US at 16 tonnes and France and a couple of other European nations at five tons. Five tons versus 16 tons. More than three times the emissions in the US per person than in France. Firstly, I mean, it can hardly be argued that US citizens have a significantly higher quality of life than in France. I'm going to steer clear of the, the French fries, freedom fries debate and all the US propaganda on socialist France and all that nonsense. But basically, your average person in France is essentially living a Western lifestyle. Very similar life choices available to them. They want to buy a car, they can. If they want to get a job abroad, they can. They, you know, if they want to, whatever, you know, want to hop on a flight, they can. If you look at the World Happiness Report, most of the major European nations, all with considerably less emissions, are pretty high up there. And a number of them are above the US. So it's, it's not related directly to happiness, the amount of emissions. And in a way, I suppose that's encouraging. A high quality of life, very low comparably to US emissions. So... Now, France can still do better, we all can, but it, but at least it undermines the argument that, that new technology is needed for US to make big headway and that fossil fuels are essential to retaining a high quality of life and all that nonsense. US could be on a third of what it currently is and still basically be living the same life. I know it's not quite that simple, you know, there's different demographics and different geographies and climates and all the rest of it, but essentially the point stands, US could dramatically cut its emissions and retain a high quality of life. Especially with you know, Trump at the helm, it's so easy to get involved with some bashing of the supersize portion, big SUVs, verbal bashing of the US. But, you know, I know my footprint is still double that of your average French person. So so it's not, I'm not saying those people over there are terrible. I'm aware of the hypocrisy involved here. You know, I need to, I need to do my part. I'm working on it. Bringing it back then, from my meandering discussions on footprints around the world and my footprint from traveling around the world, <laughs> to sum up the most important parts. Number one, get onto carbonfootprint.com and do their personal calculator. It'll take less time than this episode, and actually a hell of a lot less time than the last episode, <laughs> which went on forever. <laughs> and number two, consider making a full list of all the areas you have influence over and use that for the next stage, which is reduction. And I'll get onto that in future episodes. I've loved getting all the messages, the emails, the ideas, the tweets. So keep them flowing in. And just love how already I feel there's a bit of a community growing around this and a lot of people with a lot of energy, which I feel there's a lot more to do with pre-existing enthusiasm than my mediocre podcasting skills. But uh, I'm working on improving though, both with my knowledge of the subject and my podcasting. So feel free actually on that note to drop me an email with any constructive feedback or oversights interesting articles, things that I missed, anything useful, anything like that, 
I'd love to hear it. I really appreciate the time that people have taken to email in. Looking forward to uh, interacting with more of you in the future. I'm grateful for you taking the time. This is Sam Ward, Climate Change Unfolding. See you next time.